Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody, to Three Squares. We are thrilled you are here. We're dishing on the food industry, and uh, we've got an outstanding program for you today. We're a little bit tardy getting started, but we're kind of leaning into the holiday a little bit. Yes, it's it's it's, it's Kevin, but that's okay. We won't make him stay after or... or well, I don't know. We'll talk about the ruler and how we have to bring out the ruler. That's oh, a, the ruler, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other Catholic school conversation. You're going to trigger but... his youthful... <laughs> no, <laughs> Okay, all right. All right, by the way, I don't think your microphone is working, Kevin. So you have to work on that one. Hey, I am Charlie Arnott. I am CEO of the Center for Food Integrity and Look East, and we are dedicated to keeping food trustworthy. My colleague, Susan Schwally. Hi, Susan Schwally. Uh Heritage NPD, merging with Heritage IRI. Um, I've spent my career studying what consumers eat and drink and what motivates them. So what's the new name or is there a new name? The new name will be announced before CES, so soon. Oh. I don't know the new name yet. Because Erie Nipted doesn't really doesn't really roll off the tongue. Erie Nipted is not going that's to not be the name. One of the options? No. Okay. I don't believe that's an option. Kevin, you're up. I am. Can you hear me now? We can. Yes. You sound fabulous. All right. Uh, Kevin Ryan, Malachite Strategy and Research, uh, helping food companies and retailers uh, do front-end strategy. Excellent. So when we were planning for this today, we talked a little bit about what's on the menu. And the two of you suggested data, which is fascinating to me because both of you kind of live in that world. Susan, it's home for you. You're a native. and. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you're an, you're an expert visitor. So I'm going to turn that part over to you, and then uh, we'll jump back into some more meaty conversations in just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, well, there's lots of different directions we could go about data, but the one that I've been thinking about um, for some time, but more recently in particular, is Walmart Luminate. Uh, because within the last month, they have announced a basic package that will be available free of charge to suppliers. But the real story here is the upsell to the full charter package and the fact that they have a revenue stream to the tune of, I'm hearing estimates around $300 million, um, primarily right now from large CPGs. Um, you know, the intention is general merch as well, but um, a lot of value being seen by high turn products where you can use the information to, uh, you know, optimize your your sales at shelf. And it's, it's fascinating because this isn't new to Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've always, they pulled their data. Do we all remember in May of 2001 when they pulled the, I remember where I was, that's how much of a data nerd I am when they pulled that feed. Um, so now they're monetizing it, which isn't a surprise in this era of, of big data. Right. So, so for those of us who may not be familiar with what this is and how it works, give us a little background. Well, it's so Walmart is is basically um, a, selling to suppliers right. access to their data, retail link data, as well as analytics and a dashboard. 
um, that allows them to, you know, really understand movement uh, within the store. And what Walmart loves about it, besides it being a data stream, is it's one it's one voice or one truth of the data, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's it. I think in a, in a nutshell, basically. I know Kevin, you want to jump in here. Well, no, I mean, I think it's always interesting that Walmart, especially because Walmart's always been kind of a, a, a black box, so to speak, in a lot of the data and analytics, because it, oftentimes they're excluded in some ways from that. So it's like being able to see be, peek behind the curtain and stuff like that for the largest grocery retailer is just fascinating. And you can see how it's, it's really, um, you know, uh, something that makes complete sense why they're doing it. I think the question is, is that... Uh, the, the utility that you can get out of it. And then as you mentioned, like, you know, uh, offering different tiers, I think is just fascinating. And I think you're just going to see more of it. Yeah. And they're not the only ones to do this, you know, where there's a pay to play. I think it's Cisco that also has. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. For, for, um, for customers, um, there's kind of a pay to play and access today. I mean, I remember when I started my career at IRI in the late nineties, the pay to play was, is you had to buy the RMA and the CRMA mm -hmm. for the retailer. And now this is a, you know, a shift towards, uh, you know, Walmart having, having that, that control. Yeah. I think it's interesting because uh, in a sense, I think they're taking a playbook from the likes of Amazon and other digital, uh, media, the idea of, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to work within our channel, uh, we will be the source of, uh, of your information yep. in our channel. And I think that's just interesting that they're, you know, they're leveraging that, which is also very smart. It's no, yep. no shade against them. It's just, it's just, it's smart. No, it is smart. Yep. So if I'm a supplier, how does it benefit me? You get access to seeing how your stuff is turning. Uh, yeah. And then as you go deeper and deeper in, they can give you more. And they're adding, and Susan's probably much more uh, on top of it this uh, this than I am, but they're adding more and more of that depth. I mean, Target just announced all of their new stores, their bigger stores, and uh, some of the the the, the shopability aspects they're adding to it. I think yeah. as you get further into it, the digital uh, eco, you know, the idea of shopping with your phone, uh, geolocation in store, and all that kind of stuff, they're going to be able to give you data of how long you were hovering over a particular aisle and how often your demographic that you're targeting is in a particular aisle. I mean, that's the future. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Amazon Go and Amazon Fresh Stores, they also have a store analytics. No, yeah. store insights, I think is it. it's not a very pithy name, but because they have cameras everywhere and they know when you're pulling something off a shelf, putting it in the cart, putting it back because they weigh the cart, right? Like they can tell all of those things to a supplier about their brand. So it is, you have to, first of all, if you want to be category captain and be in the room where the decisions are made and influencing, you have to subscribe, you have to buy this data. Yep. And then what it gets you to Kevin's point is actionability. Now, what it doesn't get you is rest of market. And that's kind of where the IRIs and the Nielsen's of the you know the world we we kind of come in. But um, it is also Kevin. I I was just reading about that larger um, Target store format, which really is about what they can store in the back end, so that yeah. when you do curbside or delivery, they can wear they can warehouse it. But right. now it's also gonna they're gonna have a really unique view into what's moving brick and mortar, digital, curbside. You know which are things that are hard to get which several mm -hmm. of us are doing through receipts. But again, it's that it's that total picture control deep dive within their their shopper that that's mm -hmm. what it gets you as a supplier. 
Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's, it's interesting to see how COVID and the, the fundamental reshaping of our shopping behavior has accelerated so much of this over the yep. last couple of years. It's just yep. genius. So as we think about what else is on the menu today, uh, I want to transition over to Upside Food, and that will be kind of a segue into our incredible guest today. Uh, Upside Food is the first cellular meat company to get a green light by FDA. Uh, basically, they don't approve it. They just say no further questions, right? But they've gotten the green light to move forward. Forward. But it's a fascinating category, and we have brought probably the industry's foremost expert on meat and alternative meat to join us today. So, Lisa, come on screen and you can join us. Lisa Keefe is editor-in-chief of Meeting Place and its sister publication, Alt Meat, dedicated to the business of plant-based and cultivated meat production. She joined the Meeting Place team as editor of the magazine 14 years ago and oversaw an increase in readership and interest in the publication, both within and outside the meat industry. Under her guidance, Meeting Place has brought home 21 national awards, recognizing its exemplary coverage of the industry. Alt Meat, which was launched in 2020, also has earned national recognition for its coverage. Keith writes the Center of the Plate blog on meetingplace.com, writes for Meeting Place in print, and hosts the Alt Meat podcast, available for listening on all most popular podcast platforms. She earned her bachelor's and master's degree from Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, which is one of the reasons that uh, Meeting Place far outshines their competitors in terms of quality and content because it's written by an actual journalist. So Lisa, welcome. Can I quote you on that, Charlie? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> in, ter in terms of quality of both editorial and, and visual, it's, uh, it's, it's head and shoulders above so many others. So well, thank thanks you. for putting out a good publication. All right, so let's jump in here. Um, you know, alt meat is kind of the, the hot topic today, whether mm. it is upside or others. Um, you know, as I sent you kind of that, that innovation curve to look at, mm -hmm. it was fascinating to see the very beginning of this, which began before COVID, but was accelerated during yeah. COVID as consumers were really interested in better for me, better for the planet solutions. Uh, then we saw all these inflated expectations as stock prices soared, initial sampling was through the roof. And then guess what? It didn't compete on price and taste. And so uh, demand began to uh, decrease and stock prices began to drop. Uh, talking to somebody in the VC community a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, now there are 80, roughly 80 alt meat competitors that are that are truly legitimate, looking to find a spot in the shrinking retail mm -hmm. alt meat case. So we're in that period where we're going to see some consolidation, oh, yeah. uh, some failures. But then what will happen next? And, and my hypothesis is that that um, version three, version four of these products will be more competitive. It's not there today. It's interesting, but the demand I think will be there because of that interest in uh, better for me, better for the planet alternatives. So you've, you've been deeply engrossed in this category. What are you seeing now? And what do you see over the next three to five years? Well, I think that that adoption curve that you shared is, is right on Point and that right now, what the market is seeing is you've gone from this. I think I think in the years to come, it's going to be fascinating to see what the um, what the pandemic effects have been over time on so many markets, but particularly on on food and such. Because I think we're a long way away from understanding what the long term implications are. So you did have this this very unique uh, and remarkable set of events that came together to boost. The, the the market so much during the pandemic and, I, and an awful lot of people got very excited. And now we are really sort of in this trough of disillusionment uh, as the curve identifies it in terms of, um, you know, American consumers have uh, very little patience 
And so, you know, if you don't, if you don't appeal to them right away, if you don't start pushing their buttons right away, they're going to walk away very quickly. They don't stick with things very long and give them too many chances. On the other hand, Americans have very short memories. So I think that um, the companies that are producing these products are continuing to do their research. They are continuing to get better. They are going to come out with, with better and better priced alternatives into the future. And I think that you will see consumers, a segment of consumers moving back slowly into that market and becoming regular consumers and for that going on over a long period of time, which was always going to be the case. And so I'm sorry for all the folks who thought that they were, you know, hitching their little red wagons to, you know, some amazing, you know, super horse that was going to take them off into, you know, it, it just doesn't work like that. This is the way that markets have worked for a very long time in the industrial age. And, uh, and here we are in a very predictable curve. Right. So, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Kevin. I'm, no, I'm, I'm fascinated because you, you mentioned on an earlier podcast, Kevin, you had something that I thought was, you said something I thought was very interesting, which happens all the time, of course. Uh, but you said that, that part of the investment and part of the attraction was the opportunity to create a new category and that that happens so, so rarely. Can you say a little more about that, Kevin? Yeah, no, I, I, it does happen very rarely. It's because of the risk aspect of it. So the idea being about you know how how much retailers and 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 uh, you know uh, CPG or uh, other other manufacturers are willing to put in to to start a new category. You see so many that have tried and failed. And plus, the other thing is structurally, most of these companies are not set up to start new categories and and be able to invest in new categories. So you're just not seeing it. I don't know if Lisa has anything to add to that or her thoughts. She she knows more about this than I do probably. Well, it, it's, and this might have be, be part of the pandemic effect is it, it sort of is a kind of remarkably grassroots. Um, you know, a number of these products that are uh, garnering a fair number of headlines uh, were literally, you know, the version, the food version of Bill Gates in the garage. These are, these are products that were cooked up in people's kitchens. Um, now, uh, in our mass uh, consumer society, which long tail or not, we're still pretty mass consumption. Um, that uh, we're going to um, uh, we're going to see the industrialization; those recipes that survive scaling up and can be produced uh, have a quality product that is produced at very large scale um, are what's going to be left over after this period of consolidation. And I'm afraid that a number of these um, very hopeful. Uh, mission-driven uh, startups um, that are very small are probably, well, you know, their entrepreneurs will, will cash out, they'll be purchased by bigger companies, and everybody will, will be happy uh, financially, but, um, you know, the, this, uh, this grassroots part of it is going to, is going to find that, that it's going to peter out, I think, over time. Yeah. So I kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. So Lisa, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm the annoying one. Um, oh no, double um, sometimes, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> from, That's from not a, nice. So I always think about, you know, consumers and where they're coming from. So I would argue it's not a new category. It's chicken. It's protein. It's a technology. It's a new process. But mm -hmm. to the consumer, it's another choice and something very familiar. And that's not bad. Because adoption of something that's a twist on the familiar is much easier to get the American consumer to do versus something wholly. And I realize I might be playing semantics a little bit here, but 
I think that's the genius of it, right? Mm. If it delivers on taste, it will hit and it'll hit hard, I think. See, the interesting thing, I think you're exactly right, Susan. And I think that the the thing is, there's the consumer perception. And then what has been driving a lot of this excitement um, is... Um, uh, is the is the investor side of it, and they and the entrepreneurs have sort of controlled the conversation much of the time, um, and they are talking about it as you know this is new and this is exciting and and this is different, and you're absolutely right. The consumer's like, okay, what's new about this? I tried this vegetable derived uh, alternative meat, and I'm I, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a committed vegan. And I'm just going to go back to my regular, you know, hamburger because it's cheaper and it tastes better. Um, so I think that we're going to see the shift in the uh, who generates that conversation from the investors and the entrepreneurs with this with this sales pitch, if, uh, really, and moving to the consumers who are and have always been the ultimate arbiter of what's going to fly and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, and I think that in the next 18 to 24 months, we're going to see a lot of, we're, we're going to see a lot of shift, a lot of um, uh, a roiling of the waters in this market. It's from a journalist's point of view, it's fascinating to cover. So speaking of the pandemic, you know, you talked about it as it affected alt meat. What about the meat, uh, meat sector in general? Like, how do you think that's going to continue to affect? I mean, we see Tyson investing heavily in robotics and all this stuff. Like, what is pandemic? What is the knock-on effects going to be from that? That, I think, is going to be um, much less, much slower moving in terms of, mm -hmm. but I think that also going to be lasting changes. Um, I think that across the industry, you have a much more heightened awareness of um, health and wellness, both in the products, but also a lot higher um, uh, consideration for uh, employee and, and worker health. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, there seems to have been an awful lot of chicanery that happened in turn as the pandemic was moving very quickly through the industry. Um, and there's, you know, maybe the industry influenced the executive order and, you know, some other things. And, and I don't know about those things. I, I think about being the head of a meat company at that time and, and you are putting your workers at risk. But on the other hand, if you, if you shut everything down, would, would, the, would the fallout from that have been even worse? And it really was a no-win no situation for any business leader in that case. Um, but in terms of the, the long-term effects, I think that, yes, you, you were seeing Tyson as being very vocal about it and being very upfront. I, I'm sure they're not the only ones. Um, the other companies probably are maybe a little more under the radar about it. But a lot of investment in, um, in robotics and technologies, and these are not new technologies. They're very much in, in, uh, uh, in use in Europe, where the cost of labor has been higher for a very long time. And so it's a matter of importing and setting them up here. And it's only now becoming more cost-effective to do that than it is to just hire more people. Mm. Uh, and I also think that um, you will see uh, more attention to the products themselves and the quality of the products and that awareness of sustainability and healthfulness and, um, and, and, and better for the planet, better for the people kind of messaging 
um, and not just messaging. I think that they are really genuinely re-examining their product lines and things in, in order to make these improvements on an ongoing basis, but it is incremental. Can, let's talk about that a little bit because the sustainability piece um, has been a big driver for mm -hmm. why a lot of the innovators brought, up, brought about. And before we got on this, this uh, live webcast, we were talking about the word mission. And yes. I love for you to share that um, kind of potentially the, the role of mission with these companies now and how that's changing. Are we talking about the alt meet or the meet or both? Alt, alt meet. Mm -hmm. On the alt meet. Well, the, um, you know, the alt meet industry has a has a good uh, line of discussion in the sustainability and the economic or the ecological uh, avenues, um, even if some of the numbers uh, are, are in question in the market. Um, and, and so they have been, and, and really tapping that emotional connection that, that brands want to, you want your, your brand to excite, um, excite your consumer for, for reasons other than um, uh, reasons other than just price or, you know, or a fancy, you know, fancy logo or whatever. So, um, so that's great, but for a lot of reasons, that was, that's been almost the only consistent, uh, part of the messaging that, that they've really been able to pull off on an ongoing basis. And it does not trump and no survey has ever shown that consumers care more about, uh, planet and healthfulness than they do right. about price and taste. Price right. and taste are always the, the, the deciding factors. And so um, what was seemed very exciting and new at the very beginning of, of this market generation in 2018, 2019, I think has started to sound a little hollow uh, to, uh, to consumers that, you know, okay, this is a mission, but, you know, um, and, and I support your mission, but when I'm standing in front of the meat case and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to buy this alt refrigerated fresh alt product over here or this less expensive and I know better tasting version of, of conventional meat over on that side, I'm going to go with the conventional meat. Mm -hmm. It's all about that decision that gets made in the store at the moment. And, um, and you can talk about mission till, all, till the cows come home, and, so to speak, and, uh, and it's not going to make any difference. No. Very cool. All right. One last question. We're running out of time here, but, but Lisa, interesting uh, decision by FDA this week to give upside mm. food, the green light and the first in the, in the cellular sector, what do you see in terms of the differences between plant-based and, and cultivated cell product uh, in terms of both development and consumer acceptance? What's, what's your perception? If cultivated meat can, as the cultivated meat producers say they are very close to doing, cracking the code of being able to generate these cell-based products at scale, I think personally, it's a game changer. I mean, it for everybody, it will be the boulder that you throw into the pond where previously people have simply thrown rocks into the pond. Um, I could be wrong. It's just one person I have had the chance to, to test cultivated meat uh, itself, mm -hmm. and I was a skeptic before I tried it, and I tried it, and I thought, man, if you can figure out how to make this stuff at scale, I'm right there. I, I will be, I, it will satisfy that part of me that wants to um, not see the animals slaughtered and 
It, it tastes wonderful. They're not missing anything. There's none of these, you know, off notes that have to be covered up in a plant-based product. Um, but there's, but it's a big if. It's a big if. A lot of people, uh, I'm thinking of Ricardo San Martin uh, at Berkeley, who's very, <laughs> who knows this industry better than I do. And he says, people have been trying to figure out how to make this stuff at scale and at a lower cost for generations, and they haven't done it yet, and they're not going to do it. And mm -hmm. so if he turns out to be right, um, then it, it winds up being a great idea with, with no reality. But, um, but if they can make it a reality, uh, it's going to change everything. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it from a, from a journalist perspective, but boy, are you in the right place at the right time? There is so much going on in that sector. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I mean, as always, phenomenal insight. Your coverage is terrific. Your writing is exceptional, and uh, oh, we you. appreciate you spending a little time with us today. Thank so you for the invitation. You're welcome. You're welcome to, to to listen in on the rest of it if you'd like to. It's going to be most. It's going to be mostly inane, but it's kind of fun. So. Oh, I, I love inanity. It's yeah. it's uh, fun on a Friday. This is where Kevin plays. That's where my part is. That's right. <laughs> all about a name. I'm all about a name. All right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin. Looking right. forward to it. Thanks, Thanks thank you again, Lisa. Appreciate it. All right, thank we're going to transition to what the food. But but before I get there, Susan, <laughs> Kevin, did you? Are, are, first of all, are you turkey eaters? And did you get your turkey? Oh yeah. Yeah. Kevin, not so much. What? Not so much. I'm not a big oh. turkey person. This really? would have been a deal breaker had I known this before we started this. Podcast. No, I, I'll, I'll make it, but it's like, it's not my favorite. It's not my really? favorite. Yeah. And I've gone out of my way, you know, deep fry, smoke, all that stuff. I've done them all. And they're all like, wow. eh, eh, it's okay. I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I love the nostalgia of it more than I there like. There you go. The yeah, that's, I think that I think that's probably right. I think that's it's 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 quite tasty. You put gravy and yeah potatoes and dressing around it, and have a couple of glasses of wine, and why not? Yep. Right? Yep. But, so uh, it's my favorite holiday. Oh, I I love the holiday. holiday. Yeah, that's a separate food. question. Food. I'll eat it for days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay. you have to. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want point. to. Oh, fine. All right, Kevin. What are we doing right. here? What, what's so, the food? It, 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 I'm, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. So what yeah. I thought is we're going to cut to the chase. Everyone, you like the quizzes, so I just went with the quiz. Yes. And we're going to have a quiz. I'm going to win Thanksgiving. And this no. is, I'm going to give you a fact, or is it, and you tell me if it's true or false. And okay. then, okay, and it's all about yeah. Thanksgiving. Okay. Now, are we going back and forth, or are we jump? No, 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 no. I'll, no, no, I'll, I'll yeah, state yeah. the fact, in air quotes, the fact, and you tell me whether or not it is true okay. or not true. Okay. okay. Right. The okay. word... Number one, the word pecan comes from the Spanish word, a Spanish phrase, picante de nuz, meaning spicy nuts, probably because uh, early explorers first encountering them had it when it was served by uh, natives. They, uh, they gave them like nuts mixed with peppers. False. I'm going to say it's true, but is it pecan or is it pecan? It depends on which side of the Mason-Dixon line you're on. So okay, that's a whole other conversation. I'm it's actually Susan's right. It's false. Oh. It actually, it's actually a Algonquin word meaning a nut that requires a stone to crack. <laughs> that is so true and descriptive. True. And one little totally compact word. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, Charlie, it's pecan. It's not pecan. It's it's pecan. It isn't in North Carolina. I can tell you, it's pecan in North Carolina. Well, we won't go into. I had a southerner tell me why it wasn't pecan. But anyway, we'll go. Okay. We'll go, All right. Okay. All right, next one, marshmallows, oh. which are our favorite to top sweet potato casseroles this season, were originally made with an extract from an herb that grew in the marshes along the Nile River. Well, there is a marshmallow herb, so I'm going to say true. Charlie? 
Well, I've got to be contrary because she said true just to have an opposite opinion. I'm going to say false. No, it's actually true. The early marshmallows is a gelatinous extract. I'm getting from skunked a, from a root. here. Yeah. And you know what? I drank marshmallow tea. Yes, for that's heartburn when I was pregnant. Yes. Really? Yeah. It worked. Great. Was that effective? It did. Yeah. These marshmallows don't have the herb. They got rid of it and put gelatin yeah. in. Speaking yeah. of the meat industry, all uh, I can see all I can see is the big stave pup guy in Ghostbusters. No. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. Uh, number three. Cranberries are also known as bounce berries because they are the one of the only berries that are firm enough to bounce when you drop them. True. Susan? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say true. I think that's, that is true. That is true. Cranberries are traditionally mm -hmm. sorted by bouncing them down a series of motorized stairs. The good berries bounce and the bad berries stay on the stairs. So that's how they actually do harvest it. Oh. Yeah. But it's unlike, it's it. unlike it's unlike elementary school where the good berries would stay on the stairs and the bad right. berries would bounce. <laughs> so. yes. All right, two more, two more. Uh, okay, number one, or uh, this one. One of the most important pollinators of pumpkins is the squash bat, a small species of bat that's hardy enough to carry the pumpkin pollen's larger particles. No. Susan. It's a good story, but it's I've not never true. heard of a squash bat. No, no. Okay, oh. you're right. Well, right. It's false. However, there is a squash bee that is larger than the typical bee, and oh. it's hardy enough to carry the pollen. They really do you find all this stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not the carpenter bee. That's a really big bee. <laughs> no, this is a big bee, and it used to be the squash bee, and now they actually because that that has declined. They've actually gone oh. into a larger bumblebee. But bats are just to be clear, bats are very big pollinators, but mostly in warmer climates. So, hmm. oh, interesting. All right, oh. last one. One way to tell whether a turkey is male or female is to check its droppings. A male turkey's poop is shaped like the letter J, and a female's is a spiral. No, you tell by the, the, the thing. The Charlie? Chin thing. I, I, I'm going to say true, just again, to be the, the contrarian. Tails. It the is tail. true. That what? is true. Yes, you can tell by the droppings. The different, I, very different shapes. No way. <laughs> you can find pictures online. <laughs> I have. I have wild turkeys all over the place. I'm gonna, Are you checking gonna, their droppings? You should be. I should be, but there's snow everywhere now. People so. will think you're like a turkey savant. You I go know. out there, you're like, there was a male turkey here. I, yeah, well, right? yeah. There, there's our friend Susan, the turkey Next savant. Next spring, I'm going to be out there chasing them down looking. You wait. <laughs> I the did write. Has a square poo, the wombat? A wombat. Yeah, they have square yeah. poo, so it doesn't. Yeah, that's true. I did have one I wrote, but I knew I couldn't get through it without laughing. Okay, you want to so hear say, that one? Yeah, yeah go, yeah, go, yeah, go. Yeah. Sweet potatoes were originally called yeet potatoes because they're hardy <laughs> enough that workers could throw them into the waiting carts. And later people misheard yeet potato and called them sweet potatoes. I couldn't get through that. But yeet? I didn't even know. Yeah, yeet. see, that is a very... Why is that Susan funny? knows. See, yeah, Susan. I have an 11-year-old who watches yeah. YouTube. Everything's yeet. Yeet oh. is to throw in modern oh. parlance. So yes, yeah. I, but, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Well, very sauce that you don't know that, Charlie, because you're well, a cringy not, boomer. Things to yet, talk exactly about right. at the Thanksgiving table. There you go. <laughs> things to talk Eat, about Thanksgiving table. Oh, yeah. Eat potatoes. I'll bring that up Thank with my that. wife's two cousins. Yeah. yeah, that'll be very helpful. Excellent. You can awesome. eat a potato at me. That's what you can tell people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Three Squares, whether you did it live or you're listening to the podcast on your favorite platform. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can send them to Three Squares 
mail at gmail.com. That's the numeral three, squaresmail at gmail.com. If you have complaints, just call Kevin. Yeah. I uh, hope, hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeet up, and uh, we'll see you next time <laughs> on Three Squares. <laughs> nice try, Charlie. Nice hey, try. Bye. Happy Bye. Thanksgiving. Happy Bye. Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.